Well, I'm very glad to be here, and I'm glad all of you are here, too. This is uh, a special opportunity for me to be able to share with you about science and the Bible. This is, uh, got a little of my show and tells here. Christian for some 46 years. (laughs) That's a long ways back to think about. Uh, I became a Christian when I was a graduate student working on my uh, doctorate in engineering at MIT. And the Lord very sovereignly, actually one day, led my wife and me both to open to the Lord and to receive him. Uh, and so, very quickly, I, uh, I perceived that I was getting into a situation that uh, could have some compromise. Uh, associated with it. Uh, When I I received the Lord and my wife and I, we both uh, wanted to be very serious in our Christian faith. And uh, we really looked at this as the pathway for the remainder of our lives together. And that is absolutely the way our lives together have been. They've been uh, totally focused on, centered on uh, our faith, our experience together in Christ and of Christ. Same time, I was getting ready at the very best technical school in the world to pursue a career in science, which I have been doing 40 years here at UT now. And there was a uh, perceived um, incompatibility between my new faith, as I understood it, and uh, what science believed about the existence and the function of the physical universe, including both inanimate things and living things. I was just at that point in time getting into studying uh, engineering applied to life, although biomedical engineering didn't have its name back then. So when we became Christians, one of the first things we did was we got into a home meeting. Uh, We uh, got uh, associated with another group of very serious Christians. We met together every Friday night, uh, rotating around homes, sometimes in ours, about a dozen of us or so. Uh, These were people who were very serious about the Lord. And there was another couple there, uh, the husband of uh, that couple uh, was also very much involved in science. And so quite quickly on, 
he and I began to explore together what uh, we knew about uh, from the perspective of science and uh, what the Bible had to say about the existence of uh, the universe, of the creation. And at that time, I began to study both the Bible and what science had to say about this very seriously, very intensely. And uh, over the intervening 45 years, I have focused a huge part of my life activities uh, on learning about this subject. Uh, I've read clear through the Bible over and over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many times. I keep voluminous notes on it uh, every time I do it. Uh, I have read all kinds of books on this subject. If you come to my home and ask me, I will take you into my office. And I have bookshelves full of writings on this kind of a topic. Some of uh, those books I know the authors and I've had in-depth discussions with them about uh, this sort of topic. Uh, I've read a lot of ministry related to this. I I have given talks like this uh, all over the United States uh, to uh, a very large uh, variety of groups, Uh, Sometimes faculty gatherings, sometimes student gatherings. I've given international talks uh, on this topic also. And uh, I have come to the conclusion, I'll give you the end of the story at the beginning, okay? (laughs) I have come to a very, very strong conclusion that if you... uh, will believe only what is proven in science and if you will also only believe what the Bible consistently presents. This is different from going in and extracting a verse from someplace and building a whole theory around it that oftentimes is in conflict with the rest of the Bible. Okay, so you look at the Bible this way, and you look at science this way, the outcome is there is no problem at all. Okay, in fact, I use the word harmony and compatibility down at the bottom here. I don't know if you can see my laser pointer or not. I can see it if I shine it in my hand. Okay, well, (laughs) so my perspective is if you don't buy into scientific theories that can't be proven, and particularly related to evolution, okay, and, and I consider myself a fully honest scientist, I believe the data. And I look for the message that the data is telling me. I practice this with the research students in my lab all the time. We run experiments and they turn out sometimes like what we expect. Sometimes we get data that is very surprising. And they say, oh, what's wrong? I say, absolutely nothing is wrong. We have a big opportunity here to learn. We need to be honest and look at what the data says. 
same thing when you look at any kind of science. If you look at what the data says, not some theory that you concoct around, uh, maybe you concoct it around data, maybe you don't, but anyway. Uh, and if you read the Bible cover to cover and you see what all the verses together, the Bible interpreting the rest of the Bible, how it all fits together into a holistic picture, then things just match very well. Now, you have to realize, though, science has one perspective on the creation, on the functioning of the universe, and the Bible has a different perspective. Okay, they both have a view on the same thing, but they are different perspectives, different purposes, different uh, outlooks, and you have to uh, appreciate that. Now, I'll talk some about that. Now, I encounter quite often, and I've read books about this subject, that uh, uh, a lot of uh, very dear believers, some are good friends of mine, uh, hold very tightly to their hearts that you have to believe uh, in a very rigid way the Bible says certain things about the creation, the age of the universe and about evolution and those sorts of things. Uh, but I, I, I would say that what you believe about how the creation occurred and how all time unwound and human beings ended up being where we were, who we are, is really not a basic element of our common Christian faith that binds us all together. Uh, there are certain aspects or components of our Christian faith that all of us hold together. In fact, some of you all could share those with me. What are some of the basic elements of our faith that we all believe in? Okay, Christ, and what about Christ? Okay, Christ died on the cross on our behalf. Okay? As God, but also as man. Okay? That's what the Bible says. So that we can receive him as our life. Okay? If you're a Christian, you're going to believe that. <laughs> okay? That is just fundamental to your faith. What else? God is triune. God is triune. The Spirit... Father and Christ, the Son. What else? Somebody's... All right. Resurrection. Christ resurrected on our behalf so that we can experience his resurrection life. Okay? In reality, he resurrected. And now he lives as a man and as God. <laughs> okay, what else? What about the Bible? Okay, the Bible is absolutely, genuinely the word of God. And the Bible says Christ is coming back. Okay, uh, there will be a second coming. And, and so, items like this are, 
should be part of what our fundamental faith set is. And gathered together as Christians, yeah, we just don't argue about those kinds of things. Okay? Yeah, and, and they uh, bring us together. On the other hand, what you believe about how old the earth, earth is, or what you may believe about evolution as a Christian, is not an element of the common faith. Right. And, and unfortunately, what you believe uh, about those issues uh, oftentimes divides Christians. Uh, which breaks God's heart, I'm sure. It surely breaks my heart because this is not uh, a matter of our common faith. In fact, what we believe about this probably is changing all the time. I know my own beliefs are have evolved, I'll use that word, over uh, the four and a half decades that I have been studying this. I very much keep up with developments in science. And as we learn more and more in science, my perspective becomes more complete and more accurate. And therefore, what I believe is all the time changing. Yeah, and I would say every single week, uh, I read uh, what the cutting-edge science has to say, and oftentimes it has an impact on, on what I believe. Uh, it uh, complements where I am right now. And so if my own beliefs are changing, uh, I, I think if uh, we were able to interview every one of us, uh, I, I could find some differences in what we believe. And that is just perfectly fine. It is absolutely not something uh, to uh, hold uh, against somebody else. Uh, my, and uh, I, I would say also, this is not um, an issue that is worth getting into arguments with people about, apart from an opportunity to share the gospel. Okay, uh, so I do not have any burden whatsoever to equip you to win arguments. Winning arguments doesn't mean anything other than one person is a better debater than the other person. Okay, the main thing I am concerned about is that every single one of you would feel personally secure in your faith as a Christian and not in the least threatened by anything that could be presented under the moniker of science. Okay? Uh, that would please me to the uttermost if everybody was in that position. You don't have to be an all-star scientist or whatever. As a Christian, uh, just before the Lord... I am very comfortable, I am very confident with uh, where I stand on the matters of my existence and how I fit into the whole creation and everything else. Now, uh, let's see, let me make sure I'm not missing some things I want to go over. So let 
me use the diagram here um, to have a look at creation, or you could call it the universe. And in fact, when I get asked to speak about creation, uh, I immediately think I, I don't want to talk just about the physical creation because in reality, there are two coexisting simultaneous creations. Okay, one is the physical creation uh, that we are all very familiar with, we're born into it, but there also is uh, an absolute reality what the Bible calls the new creation. Uh, science, do, that's off on the right side in the diagram. Uh, science doesn't relate at all to the new creation. That doesn't mean it's any less real than the old creation. It's just in a different uh, domain of reality. And, uh, and I'll talk some about that in a bit. But when we talk about the old creation, that is uh, the physical universe, and when we talk uh, about the, the inanimate side and then all the living things, uh, science is uh, essentially dedicated to understanding uh, the operation of uh, virtually every element of that creation and there's lots and lots of fields of science. How many of you are majoring in an area of science or engineering? Okay. So hopefully a lot of you can relate to some technical stuff. In fact, I see some students from some of my classes here. <laughs> there won't be any quizzes though by me. <laughs> uh, On the other hand, the Bible addresses the creation also. As we saw up there earlier, the Bible starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, bang, the first verse in the Bible addresses uh, the very act of creation. So, it's very much at the heart of uh, what is in the Bible. Now, how do these two fit together? Uh, having studied science a lot and having uh, taught an awful lot and having written a lot, I've, writ I've, I've written hundreds of research papers, all of which deal with some aspect of science. That uh, mainly I either uh, simulated on a computer or I ran experiments and made measurements in my lab. I've uh, really considered uh, a lot of how we view things from the scientific perspective. And maybe, since my laser pointer doesn't do too much, <coughs> uh, I, I can point out what the science side is, which is totally valid from the scientific perspective. And we can also view the biblical perspective on the creation, which is totally valid from the biblical side. And one of my theses is whenever you compare these, although they are different perspectives, there's never any conflict. You're not going to find something in science 
that discredits the Bible. You're not going to find something in the Bible that negates science. If you're honest about both sides. So, for instance, uh, we'll go back to the verse that was up here uh, while, while y'all were singing. It said, in the, begu- in the beginning, God. So that's a biblical perspective. What does science say about this? Well, science says that, first of all, there was a beginning. Everybody agrees with this? Uh, This is uh, the science called cosmology that really deals intimately with this. UT has some uh, super professors in this area. And so at a particular instant, all the clocks got turned on and time started. And lots and lots of measures uh, in science uh, have shown that this uh, time was somewhere in the order of 14 or so billion years ago when things got turned on. And so there was a beginning, and the clock started running. The Bible says, in the beginning, God. Uh, Science says there was a beginning, and we know from scientific laws that uh, the beginning is defined by the creation, I think we can use that word, of the mass Uh, the physical mass that exists in the universe. Now, before that mass was mass, it was in the form of energy. Okay, this is what Einstein is known for. And so there was a, a nearly unfathomable concentration of energy that at the beginning became mass is in uh, with apologies a super simplistic uh, interpretation uh, in in just a, a couple of sentences of how everything got started and uh, uh, essentially, all the laws of nature were put in place at that point in time. And uh, everything that has been occurring since then, by observation, by scientists, measurements, uh, lots and lots of thinking about what all the measurements mean to understand them uh, and to express that understanding in terms of laws. And so that's how we get our laws of science. And uh, the, the universe behaves in very, very consistent, dependable ways. And you all take science and you're taught lots and lots of, you know, there's... Uh, uh, <coughs> Some of the most fundamental laws are the conservation laws. And uh, we just have a huge amount of confidence that those conservation laws are going to be continuously in operation. And we don't have to stay up at night worrying about whether uh, the operation in the universe is going to fail and everything's going to blow up uh, before you get awake. And uh, that, that's just not necessary at all. 
So everything was put into uh, process at uh, the beginning. So science says there's a beginning. The Bible says there's a beginning. Now, the Bible doesn't describe the laws of nature, and the Bible doesn't uh, uh, tell us the details of what developed, how things unfolded that way. Scientists have been studying this uh, very intensely for a very, very long time. And we've learned a tremendous amount. And uh, so, in science, what you look at then are how processes occur. The beginning happened... And since then, all kinds of processes are going on. We know the universe is expanding. Uh, We know at a certain point in time our solar system was formed. We know the earth was formed. And uh, eventually, here we are, okay? And man's been around for some many thousands of years and studying, uh, wanting to understand what is going on. And uh, when you take a science course, to a very large extent, what you learn about is processes. Uh, When you take some system, maybe you take me, and uh, you do something... To make a change, there is a process. And, and science says, you know, if I eat 14 hot dogs for dinner, you know, some things uh, somewhat predictably are going to happen. And uh, so there are processes going on. Maybe that's not so clear, but uh, if I take my little flash drive and I drop it, which, which direction is it going to head? Toward the ceiling or toward the floor? Okay. I have 100% confidence that there's going to be a process that occurred is described by the conservation of momentum. Okay, there's a gravity force operating on this, and if I quit applying the force of my fingers, the only thing that's going to be operating on it is going to be gravity, and so there will be a mass times an acceleration until it encounters the floor. Now, I've got a lot of precious stuff on here, so I'm not going to drop it. (laughs) But we can describe this very reliably, very accurately, as science, okay? And so the stuff you learn in your science class is all about how to describe processes, to write equations, to make predictions about what's going to happen, or to run an experiment analyzing what is happening, or uh, to look backwards in time and say, we know reliably from science that uh, certain laws are in force. And so the, sci- the, the processes that happened in the past were uh, occurring under the same laws that we have right now. And so we can look backwards in time and say such and such happened. And lots and lots of scientists do that. Uh, I I do uh, a lot of consulting work where I get asked to go in and construct 
backwards in time how something happened and then stand up in court and testify about it and testify about it with authority in the face of some lawyer who uh, has millions of dollars in the line is trying to intellectually slit my throat, okay? And I stand solidly on the principles of science as uh, we know processes occur and I say Nope, what you're uh, hypothesizing is wrong because science says something different. It's absolutely reliable. Okay, so processes are great. Now, science demands proofs. And uh, if you, uh, for example, are uh, running an experiment and you, you have an idea, uh, I do this all the time. I have, uh, I've run hundreds and hundreds of experiments in my lab to try and uh, basically figure out how the body works and particularly how the body works if I design some new device uh, that's going to have a therapeutic benefit. And eventually, I have to be able to prove that my new device is going to have a certain benefit. If I can't prove it, then uh, I've got nowhere to go. And the only way I prove it is by uh, its observables. In other words, I put instruments on uh, myself or other subjects, and we run the device and we see what happens. We make measurements, and we have to be able to prove things. Uh, a scientist, apart from being able to prove things, is uh, bereft. And uh, so science depends on proof. And what we want to do with our tools of science is to figure out how things happen. Uh, the more we know, the better we can understand what's going on and figure out how things happen. <clears throat> and this all is occurring in the creation, in the universe. Now, let's compare the biblical perspective. Uh, the Bible gives us the purpose of the creation. The Bible is not a science textbook. The Bible does not tell us about processes. Lots and lots and lots and then more and more and more lots of oftentimes very well-meaning Christian believers have tried to use the Bible as a science textbook and read process information out of that. That's not why we have the Bible. The Bible was not given to us by God as the original science text. It was given to us by God so we can know him and to know his purpose so we can live our lives to enable God's purpose to be fulfilled. Okay? And when people try and cross-read, process information out of the Bible... Over and over and over again, uh, you end up in the ditch. 
or shipwrecked or whatever you call it because you back yourself into a corner. The Bible is not a science book. <laughs> but we absolutely do not want to miss what the purpose of the Bible is. Okay? Science depends on proof. The Bible does not lead us into proof. Yeah, we are not in the business of proving God. A lot of people try and do that. But the Bible, in our experience, is based on faith. If I went to a scientific meeting and I stood up to give my results and I said, this is all faith-based... <laughs> People would start throwing tomatoes at me if they had them. That would make no sense at all. Same way, to expect proof in the domain of our faith is just crazy. It does not make sense. But oftentimes, I know, students are confronted with this. People say, if you can't prove thus and so, then it's not valid. That is, uh, one could say, an arrogant approach. Saying that the things of Bible and the faith have to be able to function in a totally different realm. The Bible tells us not how, but why. The creation is the way it is. Science doesn't give us the why, it gives us the how. And so, it is extremely confusing when you try to look at the creation and use the Bible to understand processes or Oftentimes, unbelievers will say, you can't prove it, therefore, it's not real. Let me run an experiment. Does anybody know what this thing is? This is my infrared thermometer. I know some of you know what it is. Here, I'll pick on one of my students. Hold out your hand. I'm going to measure the temperature on the surface of your hand, which is 31.6 degrees Celsius. You are a warm-handed person. <laughs> You'll catch this later on in our course this semester, okay? Uh, Actually, I am one of the world's experts in measuring temperatures in human beings. And uh, th this is a really high-quality instrument. I have a lot of uh, confidence. It, the numbers that I get out of it are quite good. And I know that Priya here, you've got a good level of blood flow going through your hand. That's why it's so warm. Uh, I like to see your robust circulation there. <laughs> now, uh, somebody is asking me to take her blood pressure. So I'm going to take my very, very high quality 
thermal instrument. Hold up your, uh, where do we take your blood pressure? Forearm, okay. I'm not getting any reading at all from my thermometer about what your blood pressure is. I wonder why. It must mean that you don't have any blood pressure. (laughs) Because I know this is the absolute high-quality thermometer for measuring temperature. Okay? This is rather stupid. (laughs) But it is basically what happens when somebody asks you to prove your faith. Okay? This is a question coming from this realm. And somebody says, prove your faith. Where is the reality of your faith? It's in your spirit. Okay? It's your innermost person, where uh, your spirit, where the life of uh, the Zoe life of the Lord Jesus comes when you receive him. The Bible says we know our, the spirit by our spirit. Okay? Our spirit is the transducer, our human spirit, whereby we detect the reality of the life of God within us. Uh, If somebody is going to say, you have to prove this, that is a matter of them using the wrong transducer. The way that you verify the reality of God within you is by the experience in your human spirit, okay? It's not by some scientific proof method. It's in the realm of faith. And so when you are asked or when you are supposedly required to prove the reality of your Christian faith, your Christian experience, Uh, as soon as that word proof comes out, that's a red flag. This conversation is in a uh, hopeless condition. And you need to get out of one realm and get into another realm. Now, uh, I want to watch my time. Let me say a couple of things further. Uh, when we talk about creation, uh, on the one hand, we talk about uh, the origin of life, we talk about evolution, uh, we talk about cosmology, how uh, uh, the earth, the planets, solar system, and so forth, all were started. How all the life forms came into being. And, and science has a lot to say about that. And it has a lot to say that is very valid about that. On the biblical side, what do we see? The two primary chapters in the Bible, although there are lots and lots and lots of chapters that deal with this, are Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And I cannot tell you how 
many times <laughs> I've read those two chapters uh, considering what is there and uh, getting out of the straitjacket of my traditional religious bread concepts to see what the message is that is there. And I am thoroughly convinced that what the message that is delivered in those two chapters is uh, that the focus of those two chapters is how life came in to being. It's not the physical processes. Now, science has a lot to say about those physical processes, and it's all quite good. But Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 end up in Genesis 2, obviously. And the focal point of Genesis 2 is the Garden of Eden. And the focal point of the Garden of Eden is the tree of life. Okay? And the life that is talked about there is the life of God. Uh, you know, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and I've had some very, very enjoyable discussions with Greeks about their language. Uh, it's very rich in ways that the English language are not. And the Greeks, uh, thankfully for writing the Bible, had three different words for life that are used. On the one hand, we have our physical life. Uh, that's uh, according to the Greek word bios, uh, which is related to biology. So that's physical life, physical existence. Secondly, they have the Greek word suke, which is uh, related to our psychological being, our uh, thinking capacity, our emotional existence, our decision-making, our volition, so forth, who we are. <clears throat> and then they have a third word, and that is zoe, and that is the uncreated life of God. We human beings... Uh, being the highest form of life, are born with a physical being and also with a consciousness. A lot of other animal species are also. Um, I live on a ranch, and we got all sorts of animals, from uh, chickens, uh, horses, dogs, uh, unwanted visitors with white stripes going back up <laughs> their tail, so on. They, they all have their personality, some to more degrees than others. None of them can even approach the human. Uh, but we're all born with physical and a psychological existence that develops uh, as, as we grow. Only humans can be born anew and receive the third dimension of life, the Zoe, life of God. So this is what Genesis describes, how everything was put in order. Remember, this is related to purpose. Everything was put in order for God's purpose so that eventually there could be a place in the universe that we call Earth, uh, ideally adapted to support human life. And if you look into some of the details of 
the solar system, uh, the physical constants, dozens of physical constants that are fine-tuned to the uttermost to support human life. Uh, we, we could spend an entire, entire semester, uh, I'm talking about uh, just the big picture here today, but if you got into the details, it would take an entire course to cover them all. Everything is tuned to us being able to live on the earth as we do. And Genesis 1 says we're in God's image and after his likeness in order for us to exercise dominion over the entirety of all the rest of the creation. Okay, so that is the human life presented in Genesis 1 to receive uh, the food of the tree of life, uh, God's life in Genesis 2. This is the focus of the creation story, quote, quote, that occurs in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Everything fits together in just the most wonderful way like that. Uh, keeping a close eye on my watch, and so I don't want to let the time get away. The last thing, though, uh, beyond that, that I want to talk about is uh, the right side here. Uh, As a Christian, you just can't talk only about the old creation because there is also a new creation. And the new creation is the expression of the reality of God's life now on earth in human beings. This has existed since, somebody said, the resurrection. Okay? Uh, When Christ died on the cross and was resurrected, that was the opening for his life to come into us. Never existed before. And so there is a unique slot in time starting from the very beginning when the clocks were turned on when there are coexisting the old creation which operates in its isolated way from God with uh, all the laws of science uh, functioning very, very dependably no tweaking, no changing at all This is what in thermodynamics we call an isolated system. Okay, Contrast this then with the New Testament, new creation. So we can experience both the old creation and the new creation, both in their realities right now. God's purpose is that eventually, as Christians, we would grow individually and corporately so that somebody else said second coming so that he can come and there can be an eternal reality of the new creation in fact the bible says eventually the old creation will be no more and actually science says that also in a predictive way you know without any of the details bible doesn't give any of the details either except they both agree that it's going to happen and so focus in the new creation is god's purpose uh there's one process going on which the bible calls god's economy any economics majors here a few not so many as science and engineering economics is a great major though 
Okay. <laughs> so if I can give my limited engineer's perspective on economics, economics describes how within a society you take a limited amount of resources and distribute those resources to the greatest benefit of the whole society. Now, there are lots and lots of different theories of economics and how best to arrange things so everybody gets the highest level of benefit. And uh, people can validly get into all kinds of arguments <laughs> about different economic approaches and different economic theories. However, the Bible uh, defines something called God's economy, which is an entire different economic system functioning in the new creation rather than the old creation, which is isolated and limited in its resources by design and by function. In the new creation, the principle is there is what Philippians 1.19 calls a bountiful supply. The currency in the new creation is God's life. The bank is our spirit. Okay? Uh, whenever we want more currency, we just go uh, to God and get more and more of the bountiful supply. In fact, that is a lot of what goes on in this group. Is we encourage each other to be in this supply all the time. There's no limit on it. This is not an isolated system. In fact, the new creation is designed to function in such a way that God just keeps on adding all the time. The old creation is strictly hands-off. That's why we have conservation laws. There's no conservation laws in the new creation. You just keep piling on more and more and more and more day by day by year by decade until eventually the Lord comes back. There's enough of him here. He says, okay, this matches me. I can wrap it up and y'all can come be with me in glory on the earth actually in the New Jerusalem. Okay, so the functioning in the new creation is very strongly contrast to the functioning in the old creation. We are in the unique situation in the history of the universe where we can experience both sides. I must say, uh, is uh, truly humans, I think we all have the same experience. Sometimes we're more in the old creation. Sometimes we're more in the new creation. I must say, it is a very wonderful experience to stand in front of you all and talk about the new creation. <laughs> uh, it's very much a supply. Hopefully it is to you all, too. And so uh, the bottom line here now is, and I need to wrap up, and I want to save a little time for questions, if you have any, is uh, this is probably way more complex than anybody... Uh, could conceive of uh, there will be no tests to see how well you've digested all this and can repeat it as I said at the beginning my concern is that you realize that there are not problems between accurate 
proven science and the consistently interpreted Bible. And you, no matter how uh, uh, laser-sharp a tongued person you may encounter who wants you to think otherwise, should not be shaken in the least concerning your faith. Uh, no matter what you may hear, and uh, I, I know there's a lot of attacks on the faith in certain English classes and some life science classes, who knows where. A- anywhere God's enemy wants to raise his ugly, perverted head. Okay? Just let it bounce off of you. You don't have to w- uh, win an argument. Call on the Lord's name. Get strengthened. Get into the supply and the new, new creation. There's no such accusations like that going on there. And go on your merry way. Or maybe that person needs to hear a little dose of reality. If you have the anointing to share it, then by all means. But don't let this drag you down. Okay. Uh, I think I have shared enough. I've shared a lot longer than I intended to, but uh, if anybody has any questions, I'd be glad. Okay, we'll start with economics. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an atheist, so I'm sorry to raise my ugly, perverted head. But um, so your, your example of their temperature measuring device, sure. as I understood it, so you measured her temperature and that went good because that's what that's designed for and that obviously is not designed to read her blood pressure sure and the reference i was getting is that the bible is not a science textbook so you can't expect it to you know prove things for you in that way uh, yeah the point if and i i hustled past that the point i was hoping to make is the tools of science are not adequate to prove the existence of God. That just doesn't work. Okay? And and if you try and use the tools of science to prove the existence of God, you're, you're going to be successful because every single time you're going to get a null reading. Okay? And, and I know a lot of people who have your perspective... Uh, have that experience. And it's valid in its domain because to prove the existence of God, you need to contact your human spirit. And the way you do that is by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And apart from that, you're not going to prove, you're not going to realize, you're not going to verify God's existence. It's going to be the same thing as using a thermometer to measure blood pressure. You're just not going to get any read out at all so so it's a uh, you gotta just hope that you'll get contacted or whatever that will work for you kind of okay so what you have to do is take an initial step okay it's a two-way street God is very ready, as with every single one of us, I remember my own experience, to have his life, to deposit his life into your spirit. But unless you take the first step, you're going to have a continual null reading. Okay? Once you do take the step, then the full reality is there. And of course, it's a birth, and, and so you have a baby in there. <laughs> But that life grows over your entire life. And you will, apart from taking that step, 
you'll, for your entire existence, until you do take it, you'll just have a question mark. And you'll call yourself an atheist or, or whatever. And, uh, and so this is individual, personal between you and God. Nobody else can do it for you. Uh, once you do it, nobody can take it away. So hopefully that clarifies things a bit. Anything else? Um, being a Christian, how do you get along with the other people in biology? Because I took biology in high school, and we spent an entire six weeks on evolution and everything about it. And it was, I just feel like a lot of science is not only, you know, scientists don't agree with religion, but they actively oppose it and try and disprove it with evolution and stuff like that. Sure. Uh... There are perhaps three questions embedded in your statement, which is not at all unusual. Uh, first of all, I, I get on fabulously with non-believers. And actually, a lot of non-believers have a, I, I would say, in, in an honest way, have a high level of respect for my faith and my experience that I've had and a lot of times this is based on many many years of interactions and I've had very good genuine fellowship with a lot of these people evolution and so I'm going to try and answer all the elements of your question evolution uh, is a scientific process it gets measured in the laboratories all of the time uh it's, uh, it, it describes uh, a major component of life function, okay? And so it's a scientific reality. It can be measured and documented. The problem comes when you take that body of scientific evidence, data about evolution, and you say... It describes something over here which has a disconnect with the data set. And uh, this disconnect is uh, created sometimes by people who want a reason to not take the step of opening their heart to the Lord. Okay? And... and, and uh, so, uh, they'll say, well, um, evolution describes how we became who we are. Actually, if you look at the body of scientific evidence, it shows that there is a, a, a huge gap in fact, scientists have taken to describing this as the gap in the knowledge <laughs> about how in evolutionary time scales, just like that, we went from very um, uh, low-capacity life forms to us, okay? who have tremendous creative abilities, 
uh, tremendous social organization capabilities who have throughout all societies an awareness of a supreme being and a desire to worship that supreme being. Now, we, we as Christians know what the reality of that is, but this is throughout cultures. It's, it's extremely difficult to find a culture that doesn't have this kind of an awareness and some kind of a religious practice to manifest that. Okay? Describe the evolutionary process how you get from where you've measured something in the laboratory in practically no time for the evolutionary process to occur to where you get human beings as we are. In the culture that we have with the relationship with God that we have. This, this is an unbelievable step that never gets described and particularly in high school, when evolution is presented. Okay, and so we got some data and we got some data. Therefore, don't pay any attention to the fact that we just took this unbelievably huge leap of faith (laughs) (laughs) and ended up here with human beings without any evidence. Okay, and so my take on this is that at a very special time, in a very special way, uh, on the left side there was a momentary non-isolation of the creation from the creator in which uh, God, by whatever divine process he used, intervened to have human beings appear once all, all the rest of everything was prepared, okay, to be here in his image after his likeness and to exercise his dominion, okay? And there's just not scientific data to describe, you know, this, this gap in the process, okay? Uh, this is a super condensed answer, but... <laughs> Yeah. Even like scientists ever question where the energy actually came from that formed the atom? You know, like where it's like if if what the way I see it, it's like how can you even prove this? You can't prove the theory because you there's this big gap. There's no evidence. And if yeah. Where the energy came from? It had to come from an origin. Yeah. Well, uh, there, there's there's no scientific tool to measure where the energy came from that resulted in what oftentimes is called the Big Bang, but there's lots of different theories. Yeah. And and so, yeah, that, that's right. There's no process that we can use to determine the origin of the energy that changed the matter to form everything. Okay, so that's a good point. And that's a little bit philosophical. Yeah, from the scientific perspective, you can't answer it. From the biblical perspective and the why, the Bible has a lot to say what happened before the creation. I mean, God was there and he foreknew every one of us in, in Ephesians and on and on. Yeah? Do you feel that we're at a time to where we can start coming up with ways of creating instruments of measuring faith and spirituality? Uh, no, because the tra- to have an instrument, you need the right kind of a transducer. 
Okay? The transducer that connects with the reality of God's existence in us is our human spirit. Okay? And that does not, and that really is in the realm of the new creation, and that does not translate to something with a meter on it that you can hook up to your data logger. And so I just see that never happening. And personally, I don't, I don't need to see it that way. In fact, it would be rather disappointing. I have all the reality I need just in my spirit. <laughs> uh, I agree, but also um, maybe it wouldn't be so direct as simply looking up a probe. Maybe it would be through a series of processes, you know, like you were saying, like, say, you know, someone who uh, became born again, compared to someone who is faithful and then someone who is not faithful. Yeah. Yeah. So all those kind of measurements would be made in the realm of human performance, or this is uh, the so-called soft sciences, you know, like psychology and and so forth. You can can measure some very real things there, and you could do uh, population studies and measure statistics and so forth. And you can draw conclusions, inferences, and so forth that may very well be valid, but I would say that is different from having a God meter built in. To <laughs> Is that acceptable? Yes? How do you feel like the Bible's explanation for you know, the creation you know, taking place over a seven-day period how do you feel that kind of ties in with you know, science, whereas they reference like billions of years ago, millions of years ago? How do you feel like one can kind of show the other is invalid or, you know, how do they it? Good. Uh, good question. I'm glad you asked that. I have some very specific feelings about that. Uh, the seven-day interpretation in the Bible, uh, I feel, is... Square on to reading process information out of the Bible. Those seven days, that that description that we have in the Bible is not to give us the physics and the biology of how the physical and the animate uh, existence came into being. That is to show how... Everything was prepared from a life perspective for humans to be here, to be in God's purpose. So anytime you try and read date information, you try and read this is how things happened out of the Bible, uh, you're just going to end up with a problem. And the literature, if, if you get into this literature, and believe me, it's voluminous, and there have even been people who have written very interesting analysis books about this literature itself. Okay? So there's a literature on the literature. And uh, you just get into compromised situations, either on the biblical side or on the scientific side. So with apologies for kind of negating your question... Uh, that is just the wrong realm to be in. If you want to know about the processes, go to science. I mean, science is rich in resources to understand how these things occur, at least up to a certain point. 
Okay? And the Bible is rich in understanding why they occurred. And just be careful not to get trapped in getting those two mixed up. So that, that is my take on it. And I must say, over many, many years, it has served me really well. Yes? Can you just see it like, um, just to see how amazing the Lord is where, you know, he does it in seven days, but let's say, you know, humans ourselves, it will probably have taken that long of a period of time for it to actually be created, but because God is God and he's almighty, it only takes seven days. I, I, I'm not going to, uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm not going to embrace what you're saying, but I'm not going to make it sound bad. If, if I know a lot of people who take that perspective, and if you're comfortable with that and can go on in the Lord and be built up in his body, hallelujah. <laughs> Personally, I can't accept that. But that's just fine. But I can accept you, and I totally uh, uh, support you in going on with the Lord with, with that perspective. And I know lots and lots of Christians. I, I know professors here that believe exactly in line with you. And that's just fine. That's fine for them. It's fine for you. Fine for me. Let's all enjoy the Lord together. <laughs> is, is that Okay. <laughs> In a sense, I just don't have anything to say to try and, quote, straighten you out. Because from my perspective, you don't need straightened out. That's what you believe, and that's fine. You believe it before the Lord, and great. I believe what I believe before the Lord. Yeah. When we meet 15 years from now, if I'm still alive, you may still believe the same, or... Your understanding may have matured to a different way. Okay. Uh, as a Christian, how can we explain to scientists or unbelievers about the acts of miracles, like turning water to wine, uh, turning loaves of bread to thousands of bread, or just the resurrection? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Did everybody hear it? How do you explain miracles? Uh, there are miracles in the Bible. There are miracles that happen every day. There, there was an editorial. I, I live in a little rural community out here. And uh, there's a religious column in that weekly newspaper. It's very much a friendly local thing uh, uh, every week. And the theme of it was this week was miracles, how all the wonderful miracles occur and they give glory to God and so forth. And I don't doubt that miracles may occur. Miracles, by definition, are, quote, not understood or explained by science to the extent that the actual event may or may not be explained or understood or whatever. Uh, Personally, I don't feel any need to explain miracles. Uh, I I think in retrospect, a lot of things that were called miracles uh, 
may be explained now. There may, uh, you and I are the greatest miracle ever. Okay? <laughs> that is a miracle I believe in. Uh, beyond that, I, I, I don't personally have any burden to explain miracles. Uh, they stand for what they are. I, I think it's been proven that a lot of miracles were rigged, unfortunately, for various reasons. Uh, a lot of things that were considered supernatural at some point are subsequently explained by a further comprehension of how things can occur in science and, and the, the rate of new scientific knowledge generation is phenomenal these days. Uh, maybe some other things, there is some kind of a special intervention. Uh, I, I just don't know. That is, to me, not in, from my perspective, nothing more, this is not in the realm of my faith. My faith does not depend on miracles, other than the miracle of God being in me and my being able to consistently, by the exercise of my human spirit, experience being a Christian and being built up in the body of Christ for his purpose. And the burden of miracles do not weigh on my shoulders.